0: You're listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hull United Methodist Church. Be sure to visit us at hopehullumc.org sermons, where you can subscribe to future episodes of SermonCast and browse our archive of past messages. Thanks for tuning in. It's pretty common to hear people talk about freedom, isn't it? We live in a free country. People care a lot about that, and so the language comes up. It's important to remember, though, that freedom language comes up in different contexts, doesn't it? So We frequently hear freedom language in the context of political discourse, maybe on the news or maybe a politician giving a speech. And a lot of times when we're hearing about freedom in a political discourse, it refers to our civic life. It means we're, we're guaranteed certain liberties and some certain rights as citizens of a free country. But freedom is used in other ways. too. That kind of language shows up in other contexts as well. So someone who's maybe been in a really painful relationship, maybe it's toxic, maybe it's conflicted, you might hear that person talk about needing some emotional freedom or some psychological freedom or something like, like I need to to get out of that situation and heal in some really deep ways so that I can be what? Free. That's kind of a different kind of thing, isn't it? So freedom has this range of meanings. Another person... Who might think about the language of freedom really differently as someone who perhaps has been a victim of human trafficking. Freedom has a really specific, important meaning to that person. In all of these, and we could come up with a lot of other kind of contexts, freedom is kind of, it means kind of different things, but there's an underlying idea, isn't it? It it involves this idea that, that we, can, we can do what we want to do in an unrestricted way. Is that fair? Is that a fair way to describe what we mean when we talk about freedom? It's Freedom means the liberty to do what I want to do without someone else restricting that. What I want, when I want, how I want. Something like that, right? The thing is, freedom language also shows up a lot in the Bible, doesn't it? And we've heard that language in Galatians chapter 4 and 5 today. And one of the things we do sometimes is we hear freedom language in maybe our civic life, or maybe in in our homes, or in our private life, or in some one of those other contexts, relational lives, things like that. We hear freedom language over there, and it's that that's I want to do what I want to do in an unconstrained way, and we sort of assume that's what the Bible means when it talks about freedom. You can probably guess where this is going. <laughs> we assume that when Paul talks about For freedom, Christ has set you free. He basically means the same thing, the freedom to do what I want to do without restriction. problem here is that Scripture uses the language of freedom in very, very, very different ways than what we're generally accustomed to. Very, very different ways than what we might naturally assume given our social context, the world, our cultural context. Paul uses this language... In our passage today specifically to try to get some people to stop doing some things he's not saying hey do whatever you want (laughs) he's saying quit that right now why because you're free wait a second Paul like you just said I'm free but you want me to stop like if I'm free don't I get to do that's counterintuitive mr. Apostle Can you fill in the picture a little bit? So you kind of see the problem we're running into. There's this idea that freedom involves maybe, like, like, let me just do what I want to do, but now Paul's saying, you're free, stop doing that. (laughs) So what's going on there? Maybe we can sum it up this way. For Paul, for us, for the Galatians, across the board, gospel freedom is not freedom to do what we want but freedom to do what we ought. When the Bible talks about freedom, Christian freedom, the sort of freedom Jesus gives, it's not necessarily freedom to do whatever I want to do, it's freedom to do whatever I ought to do. That can be a big difference, can't it? Kind of a different thing going on. Now hopefully, we'll talk about this more in a minute, what I want to do and what I ought to do get really close together at some point. Right? Like that's spiritual maturity, the place where like where my wants, my desires, and the things that honor Jesus, what I ought to do, when those begin to become the same thing, then we'll know like grace is doing what grace is supposed to be doing in this situation. But for starters, some of us get in a place where what we want to do and what we ought to do don't always feel like they are coalescing. And Paul's gonna address that. Gospel freedom, the the freedom Jesus gives doesn't mean Just go do whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want, in any way you want. It means you have an opportunity to do what's right. So how does Paul set this up? He sets it up in a stunningly complicated way. In fact, you may have been hearing me reading this a little while ago. Going, what in the world is he talking about? This is an allegory, free woman, slave woman, persecuting this child and that person and these people in heavenly Jerusalem and present Jerusalem. And like, what is going on here, Paul? Like, how can we even begin to untangle this, all this stuff? Before we untangle it, it's helpful to notice that Paul has a certain rhetorical strategy running here. You'll remember he's dealing with a certain group of folks who are uh, insisting that the Non-Jewish Christians in Galatia get circumcised, right? They see Christianity as an expression of the faith of Abraham, like the the religion of Abraham. It's the Jewish-Israelite-Hebrew thing, and God gave Abraham a covenant, and the sign of that covenant was circumcision. And so if you want to be a part of Abraham's family, then the expectation is that you become circumcised, and that's in the Bible, Genesis. So Paul says, I can read the Bible too, chapter 4, verse 21. Tell me, you who desire to be subject to the law, to the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, that's the Torah, that's what he's talking about. You who desire to be subject to the Torah, I can read Torah too. He's almost like picking at him a little bit. You love it when Paul starts picking at you a little bit because it means he's about to like take you down a few notches. And here's what he says. You're making an appeal to Abraham and Moses. Let me tell you about Abraham. Abraham had two sons. And if we're going to untangle all the language here about Isaac, Ishmael, Hagar, Sarah, heavenly Jerusalem, present Jerusalem, it's helpful, like just think in terms of Columns. You got one column over here. You got another column over here. And every one of those terms that he uses can get sorted into one of those two columns. It's just one big contrast. It may have a lot of layers, but it's one contrast at at, at base. So you got on the one end, he says, you got Hagar, the slave woman. And she has a kid and his name is Ishmael. And he's born according to the flesh. You got Sarah, who's a free woman, and her son is Isaac, and he's born according to the promise. And The reason he uses that language is because you remember, Abraham and Sarah are rather a bit on in years, past the time you typically have children, and she's barren, and in the ancient world, barrenness is a thing of great shame for both spouses. And God comes along and says, I'm going to give you a promise. You're, you have a mess and you can't help yourself. This is where, like, good reminder that God doesn't wait till the New Testament to do the grace thing. Abraham had no ability to fix his problem. God says, I'll take care of that for you. Let me transform your life. Let me do for you what you cannot do for yourself. That's grace. When God starts doing stuff for you, you can't do for yourself. That's what we mean when we talk about grace. Abraham trusted God. That's faith. A little bit later, he took matters into his own hands. But when Paul says that this Isaac, born of Sarah, is a child of the promise, like they don't have the power in their own flesh and bodies to have a baby. So God says, I promise you, I'm going to give you a baby. And he's going to be the father of more people than you can count. That's my promise. Well, they go along for a little while, and they're feeling like, all right, God made a promise. We're good. And, you know, sometimes God's timing for his promises is not quite the same as our expectations for his timing for his promises. So things get on a little too long for them. And they start saying, well, you know, maybe we should help God out a little bit. Anytime you feel motivated to help God, stop right there and go do something else. Bad idea. It never turns out well. So you know kind of how the story goes. Hagar gets involved, and Ishmael is born. Is that God's plan? No. This was their attempt in their own power to bring about a certain outcome apart from the promises of God. So that's where that, like, you got the promise over here, and you've got your own fleshly attempts to uh, manipulate an outcome because God needs help, so we'll put that in the negative column, right? So you got slave child Hagar, flesh, free child Sarah. Make sure I get this right now. Free, free Sarah Isaac. So we got our con- our columns are kind of starting to fill up, aren't they? And one has to do with the promise. And one has to do with our own fleshly attempts to fix our problems ourselves. You can begin to see which one Paul is in favor of, can't you? Like he's not it's not a thinly veiled subtle argument, it's pretty obvious. So this is the way the argument's going. You can read your bibles about circumcision, I can read my bibles about God's promise. And the promise he wants them to see the thing he wants them to see is that this promise comes to Abraham through Isaac, and it's about who? Jesus. It's about Jesus. And Jesus is the one who summons the nations, Jewish and Gentile. Jesus is the one who says, come to me. Jesus is the one who says to his people, the Israel, the Hebrew people, like, you're going to be My people to the nation, like, go out there and bring the nations to me. And there's a theme that runs all the way through the Old Testament, that when the Messiah comes, the nations would flood to Zion. They would flood to the temple. They would come and worship the one true God. They would repent of their idolatry and flock to the one, to to Jesus, to the Messiah. For Paul, he gets that happened, and the attempts... Like that's, the pro- that's the fulfillment of the promise. And any attempt to sort of backtrack to old ways of administering covenants is a problem. So He says if you want to be free, you want to be in that promise column. If you want to be a slave, you go be in that fleshly column. If you want to be free, you're child of Sarah going to be a slave, you're a child of Hagar. And then he goes and kind of introduced this Jerusalem language, doesn't he? Present Jerusalem, heavenly Jerusalem. And you can imagine how unpleasant this was to the circumcision faction, because they see Jerusalem as kind of home base. That's where they get their orders. Earlier on in the letter, like the power players from Jerusalem come down and Kind of are causing problems, and that's why Peter stops eating with the gent with non-Jews, because the guys from Jerusalem are putting on the pressure to do what we want you to do. You can imagine what that's like. And so, Paul's pushing back against that. He says that that whole system, power players from Jerusalem trying to require non-Jewish people to live under the Jewish covenant. With the specific sign given to this group of people to distinguish them from everyone else, like if that's where you are, present Jerusalem, which column are we going to put that in? You remember the columns, right? We still don't forget those columns. That's our organizing space. That goes in the Hagar column. That goes in the Ishmael column, the slave column, the flesh column. So Paul's saying, like, I get it, Jerusalem, holy city, all that. But if it ain't about Jesus, even that city can slide into slavery. Point, if you want to be free, you get that in relation to Jesus. If you want to be free, you get that in relation to Jesus. So he runs a stunningly massive, complicated argument That we have difficulty following, probably, because we didn't grow up in Jewish households. But the folks who were requiring circumcision understood crystal clear what he was getting at. He was taking them who saw themselves as descendants of Isaac and basically saying, you may think you are, but you really belong to this other side of this other family. So you can imagine that they probably didn't appreciate that, but he makes the argument, nonetheless... The thing that Paul wants them to begin to embrace is the freedom that comes in Jesus. And if they go and try to backtrack, turn back the clock, like we're not going to do it the Jesus way, we're going to do it the Moses way. For Paul, it's a fundamental misunderstanding of Moses because he points to Jesus. Fundamental misunderstanding of Abraham and the whole Old Testament because they all point to Jesus. And it involves really a denial of what Jesus has brought about. And so he starts to talk about this freedom it's like, don't submit again to that. Like, don't submit again to the yoke of slavery. Like, Jesus has set you free. Jesus has brought you forward. Jesus has died for you. His blood was shed for you. He forgave your sins. He has, he has restored you. He has brought you into the family. Like, they weren't part of the family. Now they're part of the family. Why? Not because they went through a ritual initiation, right? But because Jesus died for them, and his blood was shed for them. And he brought them into his life and into his family and into his father's home and covenant. Jesus has set you free. Don't go be a slave. So the question that becomes along like like what does it mean to be free? And he's going to fill this in more what does it mean to be free in the next the rest of chapter 5. Going to talk about fruit of the Spirit, works of the flesh, and how freedom involves living in those fruit of the Spirit. We're not going to go all the way to that. You'll have to wait for next week to talk about that sort of thing. But some basic, general, big picture things. For Paul, freedom here means some restrictions. I know you want to impose circumcision on them, but you ought not. Because if they trust Jesus, they're part of the family, and they don't need any other family identifiers. I get it. That probably feels really weird because it's very first century Jewish conflict, and we don't argue about that sort of thing anymore. We have plenty of other stuff to argue about. Circumcision's not one of them. But this is where they were. The question is, what can we learn from it? How can we be instructed? How can God work life into us through these really weird, antiquated, ancient arguments that Christians apparently had 2,000 years ago? thing we can learn is freedom isn't freedom to do what we want to do. It's freedom to do what we ought to do. Paul says, I know you want to impose the ritual of circumcision on them, but you shouldn't. You're not free to. I get that you'd like to. That's your preference. That's your, If you had your preferences, your, your, your way, that's what you do. But Jesus has set us free, and that freedom doesn't mean you, circumcision faction, get to impose your preferences on everybody else. Freedom isn't doing what you want to do in this case. It's doing what you ought to do, and what ought you to do? You ought to welcome anyone who trusts Jesus. They love Jesus, they are your brothers and your sisters. If they love Jesus, they are children of God. If they love Jesus, they are members of the covenant. If they trust Jesus, he has placed his hands on them. He has joined them to himself. He has made them his own. It's beautiful, it's glorious, it's spectacular, and all of us are beneficiaries of it. Like we need to remember, we're the Gentiles in this story. Christ's death and resurrection sets us free. It sets us free to live in ways that honor Him. It sets us free to live in ways that embody His character. Right? we got to remember, we, we come into the world not free. This is tough for some of us sometimes. Honestly, if I look back over almost 20 years of ministry... This is one of the things that sometimes people push back on the most. Like, to me, it seems stunningly self-evident. But we come into the world slaves to sin. Like, we don't have to teach our children to sin against people. They just do it. Amen? Figured, like, that seems obvious to me. (laughs) Shouting, pushing, taking, mine, not yours, like, all the stuff, like, It's all quite natural. We come into the world, all of us, even if we don't remember it, slaves to sin. Now, we want to put a nice picture on it. Sweet, cute little babies. They're innocent, and they're lovely, and they're great, and they're good. They're like, there's just a sinful heart waiting to explode into my home. And you know it. (laughs) And it's not just them, it's all of us. We all were that one time. And that's why the like that's why when that's why it's so important for all of us to be brought into the church, into the life of the church, for parents to bring bring our children. Not because the church can just solo save our kids. Like we've got your kids a couple hours a week. If they get a little bit of Jesus for a couple hours a week or a couple hours a month, it will not compare to the worldly indoctrination they get everywhere else. But we can partner, and the church can offer resources and coaching and kind of a foundation, and then families can come together and say, we're going to build on that foundation, and we're going to take those resources, we're going to offer Jesus to our kids every day, whether we're at the building church or not. Because our kids come into the world slaves, and they need to be set free. They come into the world in bondage, and they need to be liberated. What are they in bondage to? Sin. And it's true of all of us. We all come into the world in bondage to sin. We do things we ought not want, we ought not do. And we do them naturally. Don't we? If anybody, if that doesn't describe anybody, please catch me after the service and I'll take you to lunch this week. And you can tell me about it. I'll buy like, this is, our, this is life, it's obvious, it's human. Like, this is real, and Scripture resonates with that. The world is a mess because we come into it broken, damaged slaves to darkness. We do whatever we want to do, and it's a disaster. <clears throat> like, isn't that like when we're talking about children or adults? Pitch fits when we throw those barbs with our tongues, when we battle one another, when we say, I'm going to have my way no matter what, we're doing what we want to do, aren't we? And it's making the world a mess, isn't it? Doing whatever I want to do, whenever I want to do, however I want to do it, isn't freedom, it's slavery. In the Bible... Doing whatever I want to do, however I want to do it, whenever I want to do it, with no constrictions whatsoever, no constraints, is not freedom, it's slavery. And the people who run it, like you go read the Bible and you make, like, make a list of all the people who do whatever they want to do, whenever they want to do it, typically they are making a mess. Take Abraham, for example. Hey, Abraham, you're too old to have babies. I'm going to give your wife a baby miraculously. Ah, this is going to be amazing. Trust me, I got you, man. Not long later, you know, I don't think I can trust him. I'm going to do what I want to do whenever I want to do it, however I want to do it, now. Is that freedom? Is that helpful? Or is it darkness, sinful, and an and expression of slavery? <laughs> We've got it backwards. Real freedom, authentic freedom. Freedom. In the Bible, theologically, the freedom Jesus gives, the freedom we experience when the gospel lands on our ears and drives into our hearts and we feel redeemed and reconciled with God and, and and the burden of our sin is lifted and the guilt is removed and we feel that richness. And I hope you felt that richness. And if you haven't, Jesus wants to give you that richness. That's movement away from let me do what I want to do into let me do what honors him. That's movement from the slave column to the free column. Anybody who says, I'm going to do what I want to do, they're not free. They may live in a free country, but they're not free. There's a slavery there. Deeper and more nefarious and more dangerous than anything we could imagine. If I insist on my way and my preference, no matter what, I'm a slave to sin and death. Paul says, for freedom Christ has set us free. He wants to take us out of that slave column into that free column. And that means I no longer live to do what I want to do. I live to do what I ought to do. My life ought to honor Jesus in every way. The words I speak ought to honor Jesus in every way. The way that I conduct myself ought to honor Jesus. My relationships ought to honor Jesus. And it's hard at first, isn't it? Like that kind of, If that's freedom, it's way harder than we thought it would be right because when we shift back over into the civic political sphere like you don't have to work for freedoms that you get them when you're born right freedom of speech freedom to due process under the law like i didn't have to do anything for that to develop it just kind of it's part of the package right you just get it but this other freedom this freedom to do what i ought to do that's a little bit harder isn't it and man, all of a sudden like freedom and Discipline are in the same category. This was a stunning thing to me when it, when it first began to emerge, and some materials for where I learned this. Like, like, think about it this way. In the Bible, real freedom involves discipline. I read a book one time, and the guy said, think about it this way. He said, how many of us are free to play Beethoven's Fifth on a piano? Anybody? You may, may, maybe. One, okay, like one person, okay? One person in the room is free to to walk up here and play Beethoven's Fifth on the piano. The rest of us, we're not free to do that. How do you get free to do that? Years and years and years of discipline. We don't think about freedom like that, do we? That's what Paul means when he talks about freedom. In high school, I was free to leg press a 1,000 pounds. Guess what I'm not free to do now? (laughs) Guess what would kill me if I tried, right? Like, it wouldn't work. (laughs) Not free like that anymore. And so this freedom to do what I ought to do thing, this freedom to honor Jesus, like I, I was not free to honor him before he took hold of me and joined me to himself. But since he has, he's endowed me with Freedom to be holy, freedom to honor him, freedom to do what I, not just what I want to do, but what I ought to do. But that doesn't come naturally. It takes immersion in the scriptures, discipline. It takes worshiping with the body of Christ. Like if we don't worship and gather with the church, we will not be free to do what we ought to. do takes prayer, it takes like, being a part of the mission Jesus has called us to be a part of, obeying him. And the more I do those things, the more I worship, connect, and serve, the more I'll be free to do what I ought to do. And if I don't avail myself of those disciplines, I'll never be free to honor Jesus with my life. I'll never be able to live into the freedom he's given me. That's a better way to put it. Like reading my Bible as a Christian is like practicing your scales as a pianist. And you'll never be free to do beautiful things if you don't spend time in the rudimentary basic practices that cultivate that ability and that freedom. And here's what eventually happens. My wants and my oughts eventually become the same thing. Doesn't usually happen right away. A lot of times we'll meet Jesus and we'll get really excited and our wants and our oughts get really close together. And then after a couple weeks, they kind of slide back apart. That initial oomph fades a little bit. and That's where the church plays a role. Hey, come to worship. Hey, join our small group. Hey, come serve with us. And through those practices and through those disciplines, Jesus works his life into us. It's like a kid in a weight room in high school gets stronger and conditioned and is able to do what they want to do, run somebody over on the 50-yard line, So the more we become conditioned in the disciplines that make Christians, we find that our freedom is both what we want to do and what we ought to do. Because what we want to do becomes what we ought to do. There is a place in the life of the believer where Jesus can take my desires and what's right Make them one. It's called holiness. When everything in my heart is yes, Jesus, yes, Jesus, I'm not sure about this, but the answer is yes, I'm afraid of that, but the answer is yes, I really don't want to do that, but the answer is yes. If you ask, yes. I start out insisting on what I want. And then He sets me free. So I don't have to do what I want. I can do what I ought. And then, as He continues to work His grace in me through the means of grace, through the life of the church, through the power of the Scriptures, through the the fellowship with God in prayer, eventually, over time, I will find that what I want becomes to do what I ought to do. That's where Jesus is trying to get all of us. Sometimes we treat it like conversion, like that first time we meet Jesus is the goal. It's not the goal. It's a necessary early step to getting to the place where my heart's desire is to honor him with everything I've got. What I want becomes what I ought. So my question for us, for all of us, a couple questions. Number one, are we free? Not free in the way we thought we were free, but free to do what we ought to do. Free to do what Jesus calls us to do. Are we doing the things that cultivate that sort of freedom? And then, are there places in our lives where what we want and what we ought are not the same thing? And if they are, we take them in our hands and hand them to the Spirit of Jesus and say, you can fix this. You can heal it. You can set me free. Won't you do it, Jesus? Won't you do it? You've been listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hole United Methodist Church. If you enjoyed this message, consider sharing it with a few friends. Remember to visit us at hopeholeumcorg slash sermons and subscribe to get notified when new content is posted. Thanks for listening.